everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Melanade Scenes podcast. I'm Tiara, and I'm here to give it to you straight up, raw, no filter. Welcome everyone to today's Melanated discussion. As a part of the Melanated Professional Series, we'll be talking with Kim to learn about her career, how she got there, and how you too can be a powerful Melanated professional like her. So Kim, Thank you for taking time out of your day to be here with us. Are you ready to enlighten the melanated community? I am. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here to talk about my, my career and career awesome. path. So Kim, what's your job title? My official job title is food quality manager. So what does that mean though? Break that down in layman's terms. So basically what my role is, is I support our home meal replacement business, which is a branch within that develops uh, sandwiches and salads and other ready to eat products. And they also do uh, a line of meal kits that we sell in various uh, concepts. And my job is to drive consistency, is to make sure that every customer has the exact same experience no matter where they purchase their sandwich, whether they make that and get a sandwich in, in California and in LA or whether they get it in Chicago or New York. Um, the exact same sandwich that we make throughout all of those different locations tastes exactly the same. Uh, so that, that is my job in a nutshell. Okay. So how did you get into this career field? Like, do you, did you have to get a degree? Does it require a degree? And if so, like, what did you study in school? So this is my path. Um, I should start out by saying that both my parents are engineers. They're both electrical engineers. Uh, so I, we breed nerds in my family. So it wasn't, so it was, it wasn't unusual for us to talk about science and math and like my parents picked our schools that my brother and I went to based upon their math scores um because they were like mm, you're going to do well in math so it wasn't even like an option <laughs> when I was a sophomore in high school it really wasn't when I was a sophomore in high school I took my first chemistry class and I fell in love and I'm sure people would be like that's weird but it was one of the first subjects that I really truly connected with and I was like if I could find a job where I could just do these stoichiometry problems for the rest of my life I'll be so happy um but my 15 year old in my 15 year old mind my dream was to only go to school and get a degree go to school for four years get a degree I was not interested in graduate school and I wanted to graduate get a job and make forty thousand dollars a year because in my 15 year old mind that seemed like a ton of money and it, it would just make me happy <laughs> yeah and so because my parents were engineers I was like well chemistry chemical engineering, I was like, those two things have to be the same thing or close enough and you can get a job. You don't have to go to grad school. And so that's how I picked my major. So at 15, I was like, I'm going to major in chemical engineering. And, um, and I did a summer uh, high school research program at NASA because I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. We had a local uh, national martial That's Space super school. cool. Yeah, it was that so much really fun. Cool. And that's where I met uh, a young lady named Tanya Plummer, who was a student at Spelman uh, College in Atlanta. And she was also getting her degree in chemistry and chemical engineering. And she talked to me about Spelman. She was like, you should come. And I was like, no, there's nothing but women there. And I like boys. No. And then I was like, and on top of that, I want to major in chemical engineering. And that's a liberal arts school. 
So, and she was like, let me tell you. <laughs> so she was like, I actually am a, chem a chemistry and a chemical engineering major because the liberal arts schools Spelman, has agreements with seven other engineering schools and it's called a dual degree program. And you spend your first three years at Spelman and your last two years in engineering school and you get degrees from both schools. And I was like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. And then she said, and by the way, I'm on a scholarship that pays for all of this. And that's what got me because nice. my mom would tell me for sale was on my forehead. I was going to the college that paid me the most money. Um, and so I had applied to Spelman. I applied for the scholarship. Uh, and I and I got the scholarship and it was a it was complete full ride for and it covered all five years and it gave me a job in the summer. So I was like, I, I, I can't beat this. I can't argue. Right. Um, That's what's up. No student yeah. loans. Shit. I'm over here paying off student loans. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, and it's so funny because it's one of those things that I typically don't talk about because I know so many of my friends have student loans and it is a subject that I admit that I can't fully relate to because I was one of those very fortunate ones who graduated who didn't and, and didn't have any student loans um, that's amazing though that's good I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad that is what happened to you nobody needs to be in this debt oh but so I go off to college I do you know do my do my three years at Spelman majored in chemistry absolutely loved it um move over to Georgia Tech to start uh, the engineering, chemical engineering. And then after my first chemical engineering class, I finally realized that chemistry and chemical engineering actually have nothing to do with each other. And I was like, oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> and because chemistry, the way that I explain it is that chemistry teaches you the science of, you know, of, of, of chemical processes like Basically, I look at it this way. If you have a box of Cheerios, chemistry teaches you how to, what's in those Cheerios. Chemical engineering, on the other hand, teaches you, okay, how do I take that bench top that you just showed me, that one box of Cheerios, and how do I make millions upon millions of boxes of cereal a year? So that, that are exactly the, the same, right? That are exactly the same. Exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Chemical engineering is based upon two, prop, two concepts. What goes in comes out, and energy in equals energy out. That's it. Um, the only don't time you really so, care about don't make it sound so simple, Kim. It's not that simple. <laughs> no, you're right. No, it is that simple, but it's all the intricacies that go into that that aren't right. simple. You're right. Yeah, because when you start digging into things, you know, difficult subjects like mass transfer and heat transfer and thermodynamics, like. That stuff isn't easy, but it literally is based upon two concepts. It, what goes in comes out and energy in equals energy out. Mm. That's, that's the basics of it. <laughs> I promise you. So when, um, so when I finished, when I was wrapping up school, it was kind of like, it was that time in, in the, um, when uh, they were kind of like handing out jobs, kind of like candy. So every company was hiring. Everybody was interviewing. Like it was, you you know, if you had a decent GPA, you pretty much had your choice of whatever company you wanted to work for. So I interviewed, and the thing was, for me, I knew that I did not want to work in the uh, strictest definition of chemical engineering, um, because chemical engineering at the time when I was finishing school is really about oil processing. That's really what they teach you, is how to process oil. And I was like, I don't want to work in oil. Oil is dirty. 
And I was like, if it falls, and I'm like, if something falls on the floor, I'm concerned about my ovaries. So I wanted to find something that I could work in where I didn't have to worry about it if it fell on the floor. And so <laughs> I ended up interviewing with General Mills, which is a food company. Because I was like, if Cheerios fell on the floor, I'm good. No worries. Um, so I ended up interviewing with with General Mills. And by the way, when I was coming out of college, I didn't know what kind of job I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't really understand or know what my, what my, all my options were. So I did interview with a variety of different companies. Uh, and I ended up picking a company that had a new hire program. That was, that really was pretty much the only reason I picked them was that there was some structure about, around what it was that I was going to be doing. Um, but then it turns out it was a quality job. Um, and I had, I actually didn't know that that, that's really what I was interviewing for until like, after I had pretty much gone through the whole process and they had hired me as a quality management assistant. And, and so I was like, what the heck is this? I was like, I went to school for engineering. Um, I thought I was going to be an engineer, but now I'm, now I'm a quality engineer. What the heck does that mean? Um, but it turns out that all the skills that I learned in chemical engineering, I transferred very well over to quality. Um, and nice. so that was how I started my career, uh, was just taking that random quality job right out of college. Awesome. So I was going to ask you, like, how easy was it to get a job after college? But like you said, they were handing out, like, passing this out like it was candy. But maybe that's also because of the major, like, what you got your degree in, right? Part of it was a major, but also it was, I'm probably dating myself now, but I was looking for jobs in the, like, late 90s. Uh, when the economy was super good, and like I said, everybody was handed. They, yeah, the the career fair was packed. Uh, there were hundreds of companies that were recruiting for students right coming out of college. But yeah, it did have something to do with my major because um, I did have a few friends who struggled with finding finding their first job, but it was mostly because their GPAs were low. Oh, okay. You hear that? Whoever's watching, make sure them, them grades is right. Don't just pass with C's because you can get no. a degree with that. Do not do it. No, I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, good grades and good test scores, they write your ticket. You, you can literally get away with murder as long as you have good grades and good test scores. You always get the benefit of the doubt when you have those two things. Mm-hmm. Good grades, good test scores. <laughs> so Kim, when someone is applying for a job, uh, so in quality engineering or uh, chemical engineering, what type of, like, what are some keywords that you would see, like, on the job posting? How do they know what type of role to apply for? Because a lot of the times, job postings, you are not doing whatever this thing says. So <laughs> on a job posting, what would somebody be looking for? Well, that's, and that's what's funny about chemical engineers, because truth be told, nobody knows what a chemical engineer does. They just think they're really smart. So they literally will hire them to do just about anything, just because they think mm. they're smart. In fact, okay. within, there's an entire community called, I have a chemical engineering degree, but I do this. And <laughs> it is literally filled with people with chemical engineering degrees doing all kinds of jobs, anything from safety to quality to food safety, uh, to actual strict chemical engineering, like process engineering, program managers. So it really is about a skill set. Um, but if you're talking about what you would see for a straight traditional chemical engineering role, 
you'll see terms like process engineering, um, statistical process control. Um, like there's there, you might see the actual term chemical engineering, but that's not even really the most modern term because kids coming out of school today, it's really about, um, it's, it's more so in the medical field. And, um, so you'll see more, more so like biomedical or biochemical engineering type roles. And, um, so that's, that's really kind of like where the, where the money is. And then you'll also see things tied into defense. The defense industry hires a lot of chemical engineers. Um, defense industry in terms of like, you know, developing weapons. Hmm? Yeah. And then uh, you still, and still there, the oil companies still hire a ton of chemical engineers because somebody still has to process oil. And if you think about anything that you touch, most everything that you touch is a derivative of oil. If you have anything plastic, all plastic is a derivative of oil. Um, most chemicals that you have in your in your cabinets are are de are derivative of oil. So that's why the oil companies are huge, and they they still hire a ton of chemical engineers. Oh wow! Um, I had no plants? idea. Mm -hmm. Pesticides pesticides are tied into the um, to the oil industry as well. Okay. So Kim, once on the job. What does a day-to-day -day look like? And that that can that definitely can vary. Um, I will say this for for chemical engineers, typically you can brand you and look at it in terms of whether you're working in manufacturing or whether you're working in more, more of a corporate setting. If you're working in manufacturing, then you're dealing with the the day-to-day -day operations, uh, which looks at and those manufacturing plants typically are 24/7 facilities, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you may have to do shift work. Uh, and so, and even if you're not doing shift work, plants tend to start their staff really early. Like it's nothing to have, you know, start your day at like seven o'clock in the morning and go until four, five, six at, in the, in the evening. Yes. Uh, that but, is my husband. That's really how my husband has to go in. Yeah. But some people really love that work because it's super fast paced. You are, you are on the front lines and I know I'm still mesmerized by manufacturing equipment. It is, when I go into a, into a manufacturing facility, I literally will stand there and just watch, and just watch the equipment run. Um, but a typical engineer, it depends on, and then once you're in there, it depends on the type of role that you have. If you have a process engineering type role, then you'll work with the technicians a lot. So you'll spend a lot of time looking at data. You'll spend a lot of time assessing how equipment is, is running. Uh, you'll look at, you know, throughputs and making sure that the, that the equipment is functioning the way that it should be functioning, that your outputs uh, are what you're supposed to be making for that day. You spend a lot of time troubleshooting. Equipment breaks down. And so you're working with maintenance to troubleshoot and fix it. Um, you could be designing a plant. You could be doing a, a, a lot of different things. But that's on the manufacturing side. And then on the, on the corporate side, it tends to be a little bit more strategic work where you are designing programs and processes and, and you're setting the strategy for, for a whole business, um, but on the technical side of it. And you typically you'll have responsibilities for like a whole product line or you know a whole set of facilities that you work with. Um, and you can have products tied into continuous improvement and energy and efficiencies. Like literally it could be anything. It sounds like it. So you 
probably couldn't get bored. And if you did get bored with a specific uh, area you're working in, it sounds like you could just transfer over to somewhere else. I'm thinking industry-wise, because you also mentioned like in the medical field. So, okay, if you got tired of working in a plant, you can move over to the medical field. And now you're still, it's still the same skill set, like you said, but you're dealing with something completely different. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and then some fields where it is a little bit more difficult to get into, or I should say they're, um, the regulations that surround them, that's the other big piece of it, is knowing and understanding regulations. Um, the FDA, they have all kinds of, reg they regulate not only food, um, but drugs, medical equipment, like all of those things, there's laws surrounding, you know, what can and cannot be made and how it should and should not be made and, and what, what should and should not be tested and, and what those parameters are for what's acceptable and not acceptable. Um, and so things like med the medical community or medical testing, medical testing devices, they have very strict guidelines and drugs like, like pharmacy, um, super strict. So it requires a, an even higher level of precision and an even more in-depth knowledge of, of the regulations. So that, I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's somebody's life on the line. Um, right. I don't, personally don't want medication coming from somebody that got, you know, that didn't pass their classes or didn't pay attention to right. uh, the regulations. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Kim, how, how many hours a week do you say you spend in meetings? Because it sounds oh, like there's a lot of moving pieces, there's a lot of coordination, there's a lot of precision that has to happen within this, within this career field. And so I'm wondering how much of your time is dedicated to meetings and is your work week a 40 hour work week? I already know it's not, but give us some more details on that. Uh, meetings, I probably spend, you know, I will not lie, COVID has changed this. So because of COVID, I feel like my meeting time has increased. So I there are days like today, I use today as an example, I spent 70% of my day today in meetings. Um, and it can be as high as 80 or 90%. Um, and as low, like Mondays, Mondays are my light day, uh, where I only spend maybe 40 to 50% of my time in meetings. Um, in terms of hours, yeah. Um, it, it's definitely more than 40. Um, <laughs> but it's not, I don't find that it's, I don't, in this current role, I don't find it that's unmanageable, but at the same time, I will say this, I set boundaries. Uh, it's my after work uh, life is super important to me. I have a lot of different activities that I'm involved in, a lot of things, different things that I like to do. So I make time for that. But I also know and understand that I, that I have to donate a weekend every once in a while to, to work. Uh, and when those times come, I don't balk at it because I take my other time. Right. So what are some things you like the most about your job and what are some things you like the least or some of the things that give you challenges on, on a regular basis within this role? What I've discovered since being is that, and I think, I mean, clearly I've known this all my career. I like food. I like working in food. So I need a job that's, that's tied in the food. I've had one position within where I was just focused in on inventory processes. I had nothing to do with food. I had to deal with, you know, things like shrink and I did not care. I did not like that job, didn't enjoy that. So for me, that was, that's, so that's number one for me is knowing that I'm doing something that's tied into food. I like, I like the strategic portions of the job. Like I, I love setting strategy. I do not like the day-to-day -day maintenance. Once things are launched, 
programs are launched and you need somebody to maintain it day to day, I am not your woman. I will get bored quickly and I'll move on. Um, so I, that, those are the parts of my job that I know that I don't like. And I, and I, when it gets to that point, I do find something else to do. Yeah, there are aspects of, of with, within the kind of like scope of somebody with my skill set um, is auditing. I don't like auditing. Uh, I do not, I do not like that you have one set of criteria and you go to a facility and you're grading them against that criteria. Some people really get off on that. It ain't me. So that is something that would always be outsourced if I ever had to deal with an auditing function. Okay. So I was going to ask about growth opportunities, but it sounds like there are always growth opportunities within such a role, such a career field, even if you're the traditional chemical engineer versus going into quality. But I do want to know, was it difficult? Do you feel like, no, let me rephrase this. Can you give us some examples of times where you face challenges at work specifically with people? And it didn't have anything to do with your intellect or your ability to, to do the job and everything to do with being a melanated woman. And how did you navigate oh. those type of situations? How do you, how do you shut that shit down? Man, okay. So <laughs> like all Black women, I've got a lifetime of experiences like that. Um, in one of my first roles, and I was in my early 20s, you know, I had only been with the, you know, with the company probably, you know, probably about, maybe about three years. Um, one example was I was working on a project with, um, it was actually a, a, a group of people. Uh, we had an issue, don't laugh, by the way, I have serial examples and people laugh when I start talking about serial, like it's the, you know, like it's like real stuff. Um, not just that thing that you pour out of a box, but we have problems <laughs> with customers where, with uh, Raisin Nut brand. But anyway. We had a, quite a bunch of customers who were getting boxes of just flakes and no raisin nuts, which of course pisses people off. And so, so we had to we had to figure out and solve that problem. Like, why are people just getting raisin nuts? I mean, just getting mm -hmm. boxes of flakes. And so, um, I had a team of people to work with, and there was this one technician, and he was the most surly man you ever want to meet. He hated coming to meetings. He was just a, he was a jerk to people. Uh, you know, he was actually the one who eventually solved the problem, but he was just nasty and he was yeah. mean and he was just difficult to work with. And the thing was, it bothered me because they just let him get away with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, eventually I got my way because I got him to solve the problem. Um, but that definitely wasn't fun and um, at all. Now, in terms of personal work interactions, I had some experiences, especially early on in my career. I had a manager. Um, for whatever reason, we did not work well together at all. He he definitely was not interested in helping me. To, I didn't feel like he was interested in helping me develop as a person at all. He would make, and he would he would use my performance appraisals to say things that were just grossly inappropriate and not helpful for development. Like he would tell me things like, Kim can be quite cutting. What 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 does that even mean? And what does that have to do with, with the job? And why are they always trying to play, why why are they always trying to place that on us though? But the man who would just be an asshole earlier, he's an asshole every day he come to work, the one that you're explaining. Or and I'm just like, there's always people like that, but they get away with it. But then when they see one thing that you did that they don't necessarily jail with, then now you're this. It's like And to put it down on my performance appraisal, like this is some consistent 
pattern of behavior. Right. It's ridiculous. Said anything to me, and no one else has said anything to me. And then there was that one time, also in the exact same performance appraisal, where um, he wrote down that I had accused him as the manager of playing favorites and saying that he had an A team and a B team. I did not say it. And I told him, I was like, you need to take that out of my performance appraisal because I did not say this. I was like, the white male coworker that I have, he said it. And it's true. I don't, I didn't say it, but I agree with him. You do have an A team and a B team, but I didn't say that. So you need to take that out. Um, mm -hmm. What I learned from that experience though, is I had to learn how the whole performance appraisal system worked. Like by the time he was giving me a prime performance appraisal, my rating had already been set. It had been set months before and I had zero impact upon it at that time. So, you know, so I, I learned a lot from that, from that experience is to one, understand the HR processes, understand how you're being evaluated, when you're being evaluated and doing what, doing the work that you need to do to in, influence that. Making sure that it's not just your boss who's speaking on your behalf in the room. There can never be just one voice speaking for you in the room. So that's what I learned from that. Um, I also had this incident, it happened a couple years ago. I was working for a white male boss mm -hmm. and he told me that I needed to be more like my white female coworker, Sarah. And I was like- What does that mean? Be like exactly. her in, like, in what, what way? Mean? I was like, are you talking about behaviors? Are you talking about certain projects that she works on? He was like, mm, behaviors. I was like, well, help me understand what that means. And he was like, well, I need you to be aggressive. And I was like, wait, what? He was like, I need you to be, yeah, I need you to be more aggressive like her. And I looked at him and I was like, she's hard-headed, she smiles in your face, and she just goes around and she just does what she wants to do without caring what your input is. I was like, that's what you want me to do? And on top of that, I'm not allowed to be aggressive in the workplace. I, I can't <laughs> right. If you goes, did do that, th there would be another discussion, just like you said. Oh, Kim's quite cutting. Like, yes. And I was like, my, Mark, I can't do that without somebody, without people complaining to you. And he, and then he, he, he got quiet and I, I looked at him and I said, do you know what, what I mean by this? Mm -hmm. And he just looked and I just said, Mark, I'm a five foot nine black woman. I cannot be aggressive in the workplace without my entire race and my entire gender getting blamed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, you're not going to put me in that, in that space. I'm like, mm -mm. I'm <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not going there. And so, but I guess that, that experience really bothered me because I, I didn't sleep for two days because I'm sitting here going over in my head, where could he have gotten this from? Like I thought we were, had a good relationship. I thought we were in a good place. And, you know, and now I'm sitting here questioning everything that I've done. And I'm like, yeah. this is, I was like, this is what's racist. Because I have to actually expend energy thinking about this and worrying about your crazy butt, you know, basically telling me that I can't be myself in the workplace and you want me to be like that, the white lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So Kim, how long have you been in this career field? How many years um, have you been? A little over 20 years now. I can't believe it. Dang. So you love it then for sure because you haven't wavered from it. Um, no, I, I, have, I have made tweaks. Um, like uh, probably about three years ago, I completed my master's in food safety. Um, nice. So yeah. And so, so I was able to 
pivot from a more technical kind of like engineering, quality engineering type role into a food safety manager role. Um, nice. So I just look at it this way. I'm like, everybody's got to eat. They do. So you always have a job. <laughs> always. I will always be able to find a job. Everybody's got to eat. COVID or not. COVID or not. Any kind of pandemic or not. Yes. So Kim, what is the earning potential then within this career field? You don't have to say your pay, of course, but like, give us an idea of like the first three to five years coming in versus once you're tenured and you're kind of settled in and you know what you're doing. So coming out of college, and I haven't checked the numbers lately, but chemical engineers are, are the, the top of the food chain when it comes mm-hmm. to salary straight out of college. And I think the last time I checked, the average starting salary was somewhere between, I think, seventy dollars and $80,000 nice. coming out of college. Yeah. And then income potential is, 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 is unlimited. Um, if you work in corporate America, it, um, you know, it's a little bit different. It, it just depends on what level you end up going to. So um, basically... Your salary ends up, on average, I feel like salaries double every seven to eight years. It's really, okay. yeah, so that's that probably a, about right. And then, um, but it also depends on how, how fast, if you're in corporate, how fast you move up the corporate ranks. So once you hit like those senior manager and start getting into those director levels, your, your income definitely goes up, definitely in the, in the, in the six figure range, for sure. Um, if you choose to go like the consultant route and you own your own business, you know, income is unlimited. So yeah, you, you can make whatever you want. <laughs> nice. But knowing coming in the door, you're at least making like 70 K that is amazing. Especially coming right out of college. I should have made it. I, and this is why I did this series. Cause I'm like, if I would have known 10 years ago, I would not be doing what I'm doing right now, even though it's decent. It's still decent, but like 70,000 right out of, out of, I was about to say high school, <laughs> right out of college. Nice. <laughs> so you mentioned like once you get into the director roles or if you're working in corporate America and you climb the ladder, depending on the speed, you know, then your pay is also dependent upon that. What are some tips you would give a younger you then? on how to climb this ladder faster, some information that you would have benefited from if you just had the information. You know, because I, I, I'm, I'm at a point now where I actually have a mentor who, watch, I've had a mentor in the past who was super helpful. The things that he helped me with was basically dealing with being a black woman in, in a very white, very male dominated space. Um, and now I have pivoted where I have a mentor now who's actually helping me to do the things that I felt like I should have learned 20 years ago, which is how do you develop a strategy for a business? How do you take, how do you help outline your role and, and help, you know, increase your scope? Uh, how do you, you know, all of those things that really help you push you forward and push a business forward. All those things that I felt like my white male colleagues got the focus in on 15 years ago and the coaching that they got 15 years ago about how to do this, about, about moving into management. I was just reading the report. It just came out, uh, the 2020 uh, Women in the Workplace report that McKenzie McKenzie's yeah. done. And it talks about how one of the biggest hurdles for women, and especially for Black women, 
is moving up that corporate ladder in terms of getting into management. That's really how you get your serious salary increases. And, you know, I know, like, had I been able to get or take on management level roles where I'm actually responsible for people earlier in my career, like, I know I would be like a director or a VP. Um, but instead, I, you know, my career, I've never really been granted those opportunities. And so I maxed out on individual contributor. Oh, no. So are you going to be uh, going toward a management role soon or? Yes. You know, at least I feel like I'm in, an, I'm in a space where I have the level of scope and I have a mentor who's supportive where I know I can build out the quality space so that um, I'm able to hire on people and have, you know, and have a team, which I know is really going to help my career to exponentially grow. One other thing, any tip you could give a melanated woman that might be watching this, a younger person who's currently in college or a woman who's just ready to make a career change, what is something, once I do the schooling, of course, because this requires a degree, <laughs> what is something or a few things that they can do coming in the door where they can kill it from day one? Like if you saw someone come in to work tomorrow and they're working with you and they're more entry level, but they were doing these certain things, what would make you be like, wow, like that person is going to go far very quickly or quicker than you got to anyways? Um, well, I think there's a few things. Um, one, be technically sound. I don't care what job you pick. I don't care what role you pick. Know, know your shit. That is, that is the bottom line. Um, just, just be on top of it. Like know what the industry standards are, you know, know what the industry norms are. Um, just know your field, be the expert in your field. That's number one. And then the other thing is like, when you want, if you want to pivot or you're not sure, and I remember hearing this at one of those Oprah talks, because people always talk about follow your passion. And you're like, I don't know what my passion is. So, but this, which is fine. Um, but this one woman, she was like, follow your curiosities. So my advice would be like, whatever it is that you're curious about, explore it. Go, go see what, what you can learn from that. Um, and the other thing is get a good support system. Um, and that includes if you're a woman, that includes other women. Make friends with, with other women, um, especially other melanated women, because, you know, we're each other's lifeblood. Find a good mentor, someone who's willing to pour into you and to help you develop you and your, and your career and listen to you, not just push their agenda, but actually listen to you and help you through whatever it is that you're dealing with. Um, so the, I think those are the big things. And then um, also... In this age, just be unapologetic about what it is that you want um, and state it up front. Tell your manager, don't sit there and, and, and wait for somebody to see your greatness. Put your greatness out there. Tell your manager, like, I want an expanded scope. I want to learn how to do X, Y, and Z. Like, make them tell you no. Don't just, don't just let them pick other people or put you on the sideline. Put yourself in the game. And always take that seat at the table. I 100% agree. I was just thinking when you had mentioned before, like your scope and you're talking about men 15 years ago who were getting all these opportunities that you weren't afforded. It's like, yeah, you got to ask for these stretch assignments because they're not about to hand them out. Not to us anyways. 
it's very few and far between that you get a manager that is actually advocating for you and giving you stretch assignments because they know you have the potential or you're already executing at a higher level than what they have you currently in. Ask for the stretch assignments because they're not going to hand them over. They ain't giving to somebody else who's just who's just skating, skating by, taking credit for other people's that they see work. Potential in. Exactly. And they see potential in them usually because they look like them, not because they have the actual yeah. potential. That's just how it works, especially if you're in corporate America. So as for them stretch assignments and mentorship, get a mentor as early as possible. I wish I knew 10 years ago about getting a mentor. Like I didn't even think I didn't even think about a mentor. Like I didn't I, I probably didn't even know what a mentor was. Like get a mentor. It helps. It helps. Yeah. It does. Any closing statements, resources, anything you have top of mind that you want to share, Kim? Um, I say have fun with your career. Also know and understand what's important to you in life. Um, like I said, for me, work-life balance or harmony, as we call it, is super important to me. Um, so the, that's I make sure I incorporate that into my life. Um, I set boundaries. I teach people how to treat me. Um, I, I don't tolerate, you know, disrespect. And um, I'm my own, I'm my own best cheerleader. And you know, and I think all women should be their their own best cheerleader. And yeah, and enjoy your life. We're we're only here a short time, so you might as well have some fun doing it. Definitely. And ditto on the work-life balance, because if you work in corporate America, they will suck every ounce out of you. If you give, they will keep taking. As much as you give, they'll keep taking. So you can be, you can go into work at 7 a.m. and still be up at midnight working. And if they see you sending email, oh, hey, tears online at this time, then they'll think they can email you at any hour of the day and expect you to answer. So boundaries, like Kim said, work-life balance is a necessity for sure. So before we yeah. close this out, I was watching one of my favorite inspirational speakers, this black woman named Lisa Nichols. And I was looking up stuff like, huh, choosing a career, how do you do it? And she mentioned that these are three things that people usually don't necessarily consider when they're choosing a career. And it's three good questions to ask yourself. So she said, one, you should ask yourself, what am I good at? Because a lot of times people just choose a career based off of, oh, I think I can do that. Or women it's we know we can do it we make sure we check off every box before we even think about applying for something um, but we always seem to forget yeah. about like natural born talents that we already have that we could make money from so what are you good at what do people tell you you're good at because you may also be missing that piece not knowing you're really good at something until somebody else tells you so maybe ask three or four friends what do they think you're good at and then cross-reference those and then if there's something on there that aligns, you need to start looking deeper into that thing. Um, and then the third thing is what is holding me back? If you can answer these three questions, you can become a chemical engineer like Kim. <laughs> you can be a program manager like me. You can do whatever you want to do. So those are my closing words. Kim, thank you. Kim, thank you for your time. I had no idea what a chemical engineer did. I had no idea that almost everything is a derivative of oil. So I learned some shit today. Now, people, no excuses. Kim told you how to do it. Thank you, Kim. This has been my pleasure. Hey, you. Thanks for tuning in to the Melanated Scenes podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. 
In the meantime, hit that subscribe button and I'll catch you on the next one.